Welcome back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and an energy healer. I'm joined today with Marie Hemingway. Marie is the founder and CTO of the award-winning not-for-profit Speak Out Revolution, bringing strategic insights to individuals and organizations. This is why we edit. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) I should. It's human. Whatever. Marie is the founder and CTO of the award-winning not-for-profit Speak Out Revolution, bringing strategic insights to individuals and organizations to optimally drive efforts to eradicate workplace inequality. Marie splits her time between Speak Out Revolution and as a principal consultant at Atkins, a global engineering consultancy. Marie primarily supports the UK defense enterprise designing and delivering programs to mature organizational approaches to asset management with expertise in digital transformation, strategic investment, decision-making, and people-centric change. Marie, welcome. Hi, Amy. So happy to be here. I feel like I really need to make my bio far more concise. (laughs) I apologize that you had to read all of that out. Please don't apologize. Let's celebrate it. I just love when there are really a lot of big words for me. (laughs) And they're not like, they're not like big confusing words, but it's just like, I I don't read bios beforehand on purpose Mm -hmm. because I like to see what it sparks inside me to, to initiate the conversation for the podcast. So you just have a lot of really amazing words and the things. That you- <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I needed to really focus on enunciation during the bio. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that I want to share since you included it here is currently what you're focusing on is of course, Maria's six months pregnant. Congratulations. Thank and you very much. You're focused on making workplaces work for pregnant women. Yes. You're blogging your experiences on hashtag working while pregnant with micro actions everyone can take to create more inclusive workplaces for women. Yes. Tell us more about this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, I am six months pregnant. This is my second pregnancy. My son is now four years old and I think... I'm, of course, more experienced in the workplace now. My voluntary work is really focused on inclusion. I'm self-interested, so I'm, you know, very, very interested in inclusion for women. And I felt like being pregnant this time has really helped me reflect on the experiences of working while pregnant with my first child and and just really the the many, many ways that, although completely unintentional, I think workplaces were just not designed with women in mind. And I remember thinking, it's so much harder for me to just do my job because nobody's really thought about this. And I don't think it's that people intentionally making it difficult for pregnant women. I think it's that people just aren't aware. And I think if you haven't gone through that experience of being pregnant, trying to work in a corporate setting, you just don't know the things that the new challenges that that presents and the things that you can do to help. So I'm all nowadays about influencing where I can within my sphere. And I kind of thought, well, wouldn't it be great if every time I was reminded of one of those barriers or realized that things could be done better, I could just write a quick post saying, here's one of the things that is different when you're working while pregnant. This is the challenge it poses. This is how it makes you feel. This is how it impacts your ability to do work. And here are the actions that anybody as an individual could take to make it that little bit more inclusive for the next pregnant woman in their workplace. And so the whole idea around it was just trying to use my experience 
and trying to encourage others where they have influence or perhaps a role that could influence policy or processes or workplace settings to have that information to go in action should they wish to. So that that's the whole vibe of the Working While Pregnant post series. It's quite therapeutic as well because I get to rant about things that really annoy me. I'm pregnant, so that helps. <laughs> I bet. I bet it is. And I, I'm sure we'll get into more of like what those are, some of the some of the things you've been experiencing. And I love that you're not simply venting about it. You're asking for true change or getting to those folks who could impact policy and just being aware. It's kind of amazing to me as I walk my spiritual journey is to have an open heart and realize everyone comes from a place of training conditioning, depending on what they experienced. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of amazing though. And I, I started my business almost a year ago. I pivoted away from corporate America from almost 20 years. And it is kind of amazing how the response I would get, I was the leader of the women's employee resource group and I would bring Mm -hmm certain things up to, of course, the male dominated C-suite. And they're like, oh, we've never thought about that. I'm like, you've never had to. And it's, Mm -hmm. I always try not to come with it from like a place of anger, but like Mm -hmm. a place of like enlightenment, but it's sometimes it is just truly annoying. (laughs) (laughs) So what are, what are some of those things? Like, what are some of the microaggressions? What are the things that you talk about? Yeah. So just thinking back, I think I have like around eight, posts that I've done so far, mostly because I've been so unwell in my first trimester that I just didn't have the energy or time (laughs) because I do do work and I already have a child, of course. I'm just thinking about the posts that have probably resonated the most with people. One thing that I've tried to raise awareness of is the challenges for people who are pregnant that have to travel for work. So I'm an external consultant. I work on client sites, which means that, and I love public transport, which means that I often use the rail systems in the UK. Unfortunately for us in the UK, at least, rail systems are pretty temperamental. They're usually delayed. They're often overcrowded, incredibly expensive. And that's fine, but uh, you know, I, I support it from a sustainability perspective. When you're six months pregnant, And you're on a delayed service that is massively overcrowded and you can't get a seat and you feel unwell and you've been working all day. You can't stand up for two hours. It's painful. It induces anxiety when you're thinking about traveling for work. And and it makes it such that you don't want to travel, which means that you don't want to do your job. And so one of the things that I talked about was trying to raise this issue and one inviting uh, UK Rail to implement a nationwide policy to essentially allow pregnant women to upgrade to first class for free in the event that they can't access a seat because we don't have that policy in place. But also trying to raise this with organizations that are asking their pregnant employees to travel in. And I'm really, really pleased to say that even before I sent that post, you know, I had multiple levels of management within my organization at Kindrealis who had proactively said, if you are traveling for work and you find yourself in that situation, of course, we would reimburse your travel expenses if you needed to. Like, we want to support you in role. So it's absolutely fantastic to see that these things can help make things better for people. And now I'm uh, now I'm focused on, okay, how do we get that in our policy? How do we make it so the next woman doesn't have to have that conversation? It's standard. So rail travel has been one. Another one that's really resonated with people is parental leave and pay. And I know that's a big topic in the US. Slightly different in the UK in that in professional settings, in you know corporate environments, typically or 
what you would more generally see in terms of parental pay and leave is organizations are much more willing to enhance pay for women. So to give them a very long maternity leave, six months fully paid leave, they do not do the same for men. Often it is two weeks or maybe four weeks paid leave. And it looks great from the outside. It sounds great. It sounds like we support women. But actually, when you look at it, that is a policy that really embeds gender stereotypes from not even from day one of, of a child's life, right? From before that child is born, that sets values within our society, that establishes belief systems that say women are responsible for childcare and men go to work. It reinforces the gender pay gap. Studies show now we can't get rid of the gender pay gap without equally enhancing paid leave for all genders. And so one of the things that or one of the topics that I've tried to talk about is it's fantastic that my organization want to support me. And they're very generous with their uh, maternity package, which is, you know, I know that that is not the, the case for, for many people in the US and, and you are uh, fighting battles over there to give people access to, to paid leave. So I'm very grateful for it. At the same time, it has an economic impact on women because it is holding us back from achieving gender equity and it's preventing fathers and second parents from being able to be involved in raising their children from a young age. So that's one of the things that I think resonated with a, a lot of people, um, which I think is great because we have a general election coming up soon. Parental leave and pay is one of the topics that many people in the um, activist group that I follow are talking about, which is really, really good. And then I think you mentioned microaggressions. That's been my kind of latest post. I've got to the point now in, in my pregnancy where you can you can really tell I'm you know <laughs> like I would be walking down the street and someone's like oh <laughs> she's definitely pregnant and what I found in my last pregnancy is as soon as I mean women have challenges in the workplace I would say anyway certainly I have working in you know I I, I would say that my career has been in the engineering sector it has a systemic underrepresentation of women and there are challenges associated with that. It is not uh, unique to engineering for sure. But I think when you become visibly pregnant, I think the challenges you experience change. They come become focused on you being pregnant. And certainly in my last pregnancy, I observed what I would consider to be microaggressions or, you know, everyday slights, indignities, put downs, insults, often not intentional. Often I found it was just people saying, you know, exposing the assumptions on which they base their perspectives in life that actually on closer reflection are quite offensive to somebody who cares about working and their career. <laughs> and I think that resonated with a lot of women who who have worked while pregnant, who've had similar things. You know, people make remarks about their appearance. People make assumptions about their career aspirations, their commitment to to work. And it's just really interesting to see the many different ways in which that manifests for pregnant women in the workplace, because it's a good opportunity for people to, to look at what that actually looks like and then question whether or not they've been part of it and how they're going to do things differently in future. So I'd say those are the, the three topics that have really resonated. I've I have many more, of course, <laughs> to come as I experience them. But that's kind of the vibe of, of what I'm kind of blogging about. You segued really nicely unintentionally right into the next 
thing I wanted to talk about, which is exactly oh. one of the, your recent posts, your your most recent posts actually on LinkedIn about the microaggression. So I want to read your your post about specifically what you experienced. So I'm going to jump to the middle of it. Inappropriate comments relating to your appearance, quote unquote, that prego one over there said with an earshot by a client to a colleague who absolutely knew my name last time I was pregnant. Beliefs and assertions about your motivations and commitments at work, which quote unquote, so so you can be closer to home for the baby. The standard response and rationale for me taking a new role after my last baby. No, it was the promotion, pay raise, and interesting work, actually. Proximity to my child didn't really factor in. So what's my call to action? Two things. Disrupt microaggressions. If you hear an everyday insult put down, slight, or indignity aimed at a pregnant colleague, intentional or not, challenge it. Ask them to, one, repeat it, and two, what they meant by it. And next, challenge your perceptions, assumptions, and thinking about your pregnant colleagues. People are individuals. You don't know their motivations if you don't ask. And this leads into invite you inv- inviting more women to talk about hashtag working while pregnant. Tell me more about these and how did these make you feel? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you can imagine <laughs> that as, as someone who has my entire career, nearly 15 years now, I've spent working in fields with you know, an underrepresentation of women, predominantly engineering sector. I work in defense now. I have experienced my fair share of microaggressions, offensive comments, degrading remarks, everything, you can name it. The one that really stands out to me is like I can I can recall how it made me feel at the time and you know, and it's almost upsetting to think back on was was interestingly the first comment that you read out there. I was on a client site walking into a workshop that I was leading with someone who knew me, who knew my name, and turned to a colleague and just said, Yeah, that prego one over there. And at the time, it's really weird because I look back and I think I don't understand why it was so upsetting to me. And I think I've spent a long time reflecting on it and and I think it probably wasn't intended to be offensive, but I, I think it comes down to feeling almost dehumanized as if I'm not, you know, now that I'm pregnant, I'm not even worthy of somebody referring to me by my name. I am literally referred to as this generic host person whose sole kind of purpose is to <laughs> carry this um, this baby. And I just remember thinking... You know, I feel like absolute crap. And I, I remember sat in that workshop, you know, thinking, why am I even here? Why am I traveling <laughs> by train where I can't get a seat to come to this place to try and help you with my expertise, to be spoken to like that, be made to feel just worthless? And it seems really innocuous when I, you know, when you read it out loud, it, it doesn't really seem that offensive. But of all the things that I've ever been called or you know, referred to as or or, or kind of a microaggression that I've received, that is the one that really stands out to me as probably the worst. And so I kind of feel like, and, I, and it's almost like, sh- should I really have to tell people this? Like, just just call people their names, right? Doesn't matter if they're pregnant. Doesn't matter if they're if you think they are fat or I don't know whatever label that you want to put on them. J- just use their names, please, because they're individuals and they're people, and and that would be great. <laughs> so please, everyone, it's Marie. <laughs> It's just, it's Marie. I resonate with that, not as a pregnant woman, but as a woman, a lot of times I'll be called sweetheart, honey, Joel, darling. And I'll respond actually the same way. I'll say, oh, just call me Amy. Mm -hmm. And and they end up getting like embarrassed, but offended. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, 
well, that's on you. That's not mine. You know, like if you get offended yeah. me asking you to call me my name, that's not, that's, that's my right. You know, the other thing that I was thinking when you were just saying is at least, I don't know if this is specific to us, but there was something like when I was a small child mm-hmm. and probably back in like the fifties, sixties, we referred to women as when they were, when they were pregnant, we would say like their condition or like, mm-hmm. oh, don't do that in your condition. <laughs> What does condition mean? What does that land for you? So it's it's interesting you mentioned this because I referred, I was on a call earlier with someone from work and they, uh, you know, we did our work call. And then at the very end, because I work with very nice people, they were like, oh, and you know, how is everything with your health? How are you getting on with your pregnancy? And then I was basically saying, you know, I feel great now that I'm back at work because my work is not physical. It's whenever I try to do anything physical, like climb the stairs. And I was like, you know, physical things are very hard in my condition. Um, so I used the word to describe my um, to describe myself earlier, which I think is fine. Because I think one of the things that I wonder if people really understand is how all of the marketing associated with pregnancy is like, oh, you know, somebody gets pregnant. It's a magical time. You're glowing you know, your hair's thick and lustrous and, and all that sort of stuff. And actually, I found or have found this pregnancy and my previous pregnancy to be, to be incredibly difficult on my health, you know, and, I, and I'm probably an, an averagely healthy person. Luckily, my job is a mental job, not a physical job, because there's no way I would have been able to, you know, physically do things at, at certain points. And I have a very uh, flexible working arrangement. Um, so... I have the freedom and autonomy to work when I feel well and and not work when I don't. So I think it is important to recognize that for some women, not all, pregnancy is a condition. It it does change physically and and psychologically in some people how they navigate uh, their everyday lives. And, And I think it's important to recognize that, but simultaneously not constrain everyone with the same kind of level of ability or inability. I think that's exactly right. It depends on how the woman feels specifically about the term condition. But I think what has happened is a certain subset of people have used it as a negative and say it's Mm -hmm. like to limit women who are pregnant. So I think that's the that's the difference. It's not a bad health thing or it could be a bad, you know, it could be a challenging health thing depending on the woman. So interesting you also bring up about earlier. I am a plus size woman a beautiful, gorgeous, plus size woman. And I embrace that. And I, in the workplace and out in society in general, out in public, I was approached at least once a month about my due date or my pregnancy or it's like, when am I, when am I due? Oh, congratulations on your, I'm like, I'm not pregnant. And so what I mm. happened for years and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, imagine the toll that to go. So I, after a while, I just kind of met it with the same kind of energy. And I was like, oh, I'm not pregnant. I'm just fat. And the the horror on the person's mm-hmm. face. I was mm-hmm. like, well. <laughs> you, so- you are educating people on um, what is appropriate and not appropriate to approach strangers about. Is it interesting this is the topic of a future post, <laughs> how there is literally, in my opinion, never a good occasion, unless you are someone's physician or doctor, to ask them if they are pregnant. If they haven't told you, that's because they don't want you to know. It just makes no sense. Don't ask someone if they're pregnant. It's not your business. And if they haven't told you, it's probably because they aren't or they don't want you to know. So leave it. I've heard this from a few different women. I definitely have when I was younger or earlier in my career, 
had comments or just people ask me the question oh are you pregnant in a joking way right but in response to me saying like oh I feel really tired today and I just think oh don't do it don't do it it will be a future post Amy I'll tag you I was gonna say please feel free to tag me and I've made the choice in life not to bear children and but imagine if I had gone through a loss Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and and I was still my body was still processing that Mm -hmm. and you know, it's just to your point, it's like, just, just don't, I mean, I think it's back to what you said about the stereotypical historical. It's like, it's such a magical time. It's so happy. So women should be happy to be elated. Yes. And it's like, "Mm, maybe, maybe not. And it's, it's kind of like anything else in life. It's like a pendulum, you know, so I've heard, and this is get into kind of like the next question or topic. What would you say to both ends of the spectrum that that maybe get exactly what you're talking about, but then those others that are maybe more, I don't know if you want to say like more um, traditional mindset or like the historical mindset that it's, you're supposed to feel a certain way. What would yeah. you say to both get what you're talking about, but maybe like don't get what you're talking about? Yeah. So I, I think I probably have quite strong views on this, right? Because when it comes to, and I might capture some of that under microaggressions, right? When somebody says something that even if the intention is good, has a negative impact on the individual that is receiving it. What we have to focus on is the response of the individual. And in this case, it's the pregnant person, right? It doesn't matter if your intention was good. If you've caused harm, then that's what needs to be recognized. And I think on the on the topic of, you know, so, so for someone like me, for example, I feel like I'm old enough and I've taken enough offensive remarks to to understand that maybe someone has said something and 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 they intended it to be a nice thing and I'm not going to hold that against them right I'll probably just correct them and move on and hopefully they'll learn from that in their next interaction I mean what I would say on the topic of the expectation that a woman is elated because she is pregnant or that she feels a certain way I think women are subject to massive pressure in society and we're at a time where you know, the expectations on women are, in my opinion, ridiculous. It, you know, women are supposed to work full time, have a hundred children that apparently they raise <laughs> full time while simultaneously paying for childcare, but not having childcare and, or, you know, and doing voluntary work and all of these things. And I think it takes a toll on women's mental health when it comes to constantly being bombarded with the expectations of how they should be and how they should think and how they should feel by society. And especially at the time of pregnancy and motherhood, I think it's a very dangerous thing for people to force that view or or to, to reinforce that view to an individual who's pregnant, right? Because the reality is something like one in 10 women will experience postnatal depression. One in 100 women will have postnatal psychosis. Like we have to get quite real about what it is like to produce a child and then look after a child it's hard it takes a toll and it's not all happiness and joy and onesies and 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 these things often often you know it's 3 a.m you're not sure why you're crying there's a baby crying you're covered in feces and you're not sure where the light switches anymore and you haven't slept in a week and and it's fine to be annoyed about that and it's fine not to be joyous and, and to be thinking that you wish you went on maternity leave, you wish you were back at work because it's so much easier. I feel like I have pretty strong views on it. It goes almost beyond pregnancy. It's like, don't lump anyone individual into like a broad brush or like a preconceived notion or assumption that they're 
more of the same. It's this copy paste culture. That's not that's not what we're looking for, especially as we shift into the divine feminine and embrace her back in. And keeping in mind that we as women, we already like in our womb space, we already have before we even come out of the womb, we're ingrained with anything that our mother experienced, grandmother great-grandmother. That's all already in her womb and in our womb. And mm-hmm. as as we keep going, it's like the ancestral or the generational experiences is already in us. So, and I think that's probably something that a lot of the masses don't understand too, is just like what's already in us and just being mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can definitely appreciate that from, I mean, the work that I do with Sweet Cut Revolution, when we're looking at kind of workplace harassment and bullying in my research, you know, around the work that we do, I go down some rabbit holes and understanding the research behind, you know, generational trauma and how that passes through our uh, genetics was super interesting, which I think is what you were describing, but in slightly more articulate language than than, than I could. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And, and it, it's interesting is this similar what I'm doing work in this year is there's a, it's a little bit of a sidebar, but it falls into, you you mentioned workplace bullying. So Mm -hmm. I'm in an an organization called End Workplace Abuse. And there's actually legislation that is is called the Workplace Psychological Safety Act. And Mm -hmm. we need a law in the US to Mm -hmm. hold employers accountable and the abusers accountable for psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. And Mm -hmm. the emergence of psychological abuse, bullying, mobbing in the workplace specifically is at, of course, an all-time high, especially after pandemic and people are so desperate to get back to what felt safe. And that mm-hmm. was never safe by the way, in a lot of cases. And mm-hmm. so anyway, the big work this year is to move it state by state so that we, again, eventually have it on a federal level where mm-hmm. anything like from an environmental perspective or a safety perspective, there would be a federal entity that would come into an employer and see what's going on psychological abuse. And I would imagine, and I want your thoughts on this, psychological abuse from a pregnancy perspective, that that is workplace abuse that can be, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think the, I mean, this you've sparked so many things in my head. I, I was just going to say, I don't know how closely you've taken a look at what we do at Speak Out Revolution, but we do capture global data on workplace harassment and bullying. And we absolutely want to partner with organizations like yours that are campaigning for changes to legislation we share our data you know securely and safely with organizations like yours that are doing that and i would love to have a conversation about whether we can support the work that you're doing we we collect data for the us we've just partnered with a researcher at cornell who's using our data specifically for the us to look at recommendations that organizations can implement to disrupt the challenges that people face in the workplace so I've been sidetracked um, and I can't quite remember the question that you, well, you asked well, me so, that I wanted to answer. No, <laughs> um, my question was, where does pregnancy bias or or what what do you call that that fits under the umbrella of workplace abuse? Yeah, sure. So it's all coming back to me now. Um, so I'm thinking about kind of UK law and, and the way that we survey and capture data around this topic. And, and I'll start by saying, you know, the majority of experiences that we capture when you look at um, the data holistically, the majority of unfair treatment in the workplace would be captured under psychological abuse. So it's not that people are physically pushing each other or, you know, punching each other in the face. It's that people are, you know, it's often low level behaviors that go unnoticed that accumulate over time to deliver 
an impact often to people's mental health. So I think that, you know, the top three behaviors that are reported to us are gaslighting, microaggressions, discounting, so discounting someone's contributions. When it comes to pregnancy and maternity, we capture that as, or under UK law, it's considered a protected characteristic. So what we do through our survey work is say, tell us what your experience looked like. Tell us what you think it was driven by. You know, was it the fact that you are pregnant? Was it the fact that you are black? Was it the fact that you are a woman? So what I would, what I typically say is, consistency across experiences with respect to it mostly being psychological there's variance i think within that how how that manifests for different demographics so for different protective characteristics so you know women who are pregnant they'll still experience microaggressions at the same rates that women do say but they will look different it manifests differently usually it's about your appearance could be because you're pregnant you know it's someone saying that prego one over there as opposed to a typical microaggression that a woman would experience it's almost all psychological to your point. And that's why it's so hard to one prove. And that's why, again, we need a law there. Yeah. It becomes, at least in the US, and I'm sure you know this, when someone raises their hand and says, I am experiencing psychological abuse, there's this notion of, well, prove it. And then there's also, there's no precedent or law in the US that allows the proceeding and what happens inside the organization oftentimes mm-hmm. is that the person that raises their hand, they become the target to get out because yep. they've become they've become a, a threat. So mm-hmm. the company will go into protective mode of the higher stake employee that it's all tied back to the money and the shareholders and risk rather than and- like a human experience. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, everything that you're saying resonates so strongly because we see it very strongly in our data. Like we, every stat that you, everything that you've just said, we've got the stat to, to say, you know, based on the thousands of people that have reported their experiences, this is what it looks like. So one thing that is interesting is, you know, maybe you can't prove psychological abuse, but what you can show is that, say, when a pregnant employee says, hey, I think there's a problem here, you can show that organizations choose to not address the problem in the right way, that they choose to enable retaliation against that individual, that they choose to force them out of the organization, often with a non-disclosure agreement. And so we see all of this within our data. That's part of the process, like the harassment and bullying experience itself. I think that that part of it is always going to happen. People are raised with different, you know, biases, prejudices, our society is ever more kind of mixed with people from different backgrounds. That I think will always happen, especially in a workplace setting where you're bringing, um, you know, disparate groups of people together. The bit that doesn't have to happen is the part that follows where somebody says, you know, I don't like this behavior. It's impacting me negatively. The processes that they have to go through within the organizational setting, the, the secondary trauma that they have to experience both inside the organization to get to the point of a resolution, which is often not a resolution, and then external to the organization when they realize that they have to pursue things legally. And so it's that part of it that we really, really want to target. That could be done so much better. And we have so much data that shows, you know, this intervention you put in place is not going to help because it doesn't address what people think is the problem. <laughs> so no point. <laughs> yeah, would love would love to talk to you about um, how we can support oh. what you're doing with, with with our data for sure. And what's interesting when you say about re- retaliation, 
it could be both. And I'm going to give my personal experience. I experienced workplace abuse and the person abusing actually shared with me. They said, you'll never catch me. I'll never write anything down. So Mm -hmm. the awareness first Mm -hmm. of all, and then Mm -hmm. when I did raise it, what's interesting is I had an interesting retaliation, meaning I was proposed with more money to kind of say like, Hey, just, just, just keep this, just keep Mm -hmm. this, keep this low to your point. It's like, when you say it's always going to happen, I really hope not imagine a workplace where organizations like speak out revolution and, and workplace abuse and the workplace psychological safety act. Imagine a place where when someone raises their hand, it's handled in a way where all parties feel safe Mm -hmm. forward and being able to discuss it and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, based on my upbringing and experience or what I know is real lived experience, this feels, this feels harmful and or unsafe for me. And the other person, like the abuser, let's say, whether intentioned or not, they actually understand and change behavior based on that feedback. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to evolve into this, this, again, skewed in the strong masculine, these ironclad defenses go up. And so to the point where, like, at least in the US, to your point, when legal action is pursued, again, there's no law or precedent for psychological abuse. So it's oftentimes a dead end road where Mm -hmm. the person feeling that abuse they feel forced to leave to protect their mental well-being. And then, of course, it becomes like almost a snowball because it's the paycheck, it's the benefits, it's all of that based on something that happened to them. So anyway, we've got a lot of work to do. So many things that resonate and we have so much data that backs up all of the points that you've made. This is the springboard into that, right? So Marie, where do we find you? You've mentioned your blog. You've mentioned the great work you're doing with Speak Out Revolution and your the work from day to day. Where can we find you? You will mostly find me <laughs> tucked up in bed, napping. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, of course. So I would really encourage people, just because we've been talking about, you know, workplace harassment and bullying, if they've had a negative experience in the workplace, we'd love to, where possible, invite you to anonymously document your experience with us at Speak Out Revolution. We are partnering with organizations that are trying to change legislation, trying to introduce best practice guidelines to organizations that want to be more inclusive and understanding what those experiences look like is is incredibly important. The more data we have, the more experiences we have, the less able people are to say that there isn't a problem, which is the first line of defense, right? We don't have a problem. Well, actually, yes, you do. You just don't know what it looks like. And we're here to tell you. So people can find us at speakoutrevolution.co.uk. It is a UK uh, site, but we capture global data in the Speak Out survey. So if you search for either of those things, you'll find us. For anyone interested in the experiences of working while pregnant, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Marie Hemingway, if you look at my feed, talking a lot about being pregnant, you can join me and other people that are sharing our experiences of, of what that's like and, and micro actions that everybody can take to, to make work, workplaces more inclusive. So feel free to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. I'd absolutely welcome that. Amazing, Marie. And closing remarks as we wind down. You know, if there are any women out there working while pregnant, feeling like it's, you know, it's overwhelming, it's too difficult, it's it's incredibly hard to you know get up each day and do their job i can empathize the workplaces um certainly in the uk and i i I doubt the us is much different and even globally 
workplaces were not designed with pregnant women in mind. And I think it is our responsibility. And, you know, I'd like to take a little bit of that on myself to to highlight to people where that is the case, to try and accelerate the work that is happening in the EDI space, to incorporate pregnant women as a, a stakeholder group, because lots of women work, many women have children, we need workplaces that work for pregnant women and absolutely would invite people where they feel like that to give themselves grace because it is difficult and to to you know to join my blog series share their experiences put forward their recommendations for what organizations can do because i am connected with a lot of people that work in edni a lot of people that work in hr that want to change things they just need to know how and and i think we can do that together right women are unstoppable and I'm very grateful to connect with as many women as possible including yourself Amy so thank you very very much for inviting me on your podcast it's been an absolute delight to talk to you thank you Marie thank you